Welcome to the Faith Today podcast. I'm Bill Fladeris. And I'm Alana Reimer from Love is Moving. Our guest today is David Goretzky, the new president of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. So as the ESC's new president, I'm curious, did David speak at all about his visions for the future, like how he might step into this role and in the work of collaborating and bringing together denominations, what that work of collaboration is going to be looking like in the future? He certainly did, yeah. One of the big things that he sees coming up is this issue of euthanasia or MAID in Canada and the need for Christians to think and talk about the society that God is calling us to have. He's done a lot of personal study on medical ethics, I think is probably what he'd call it. And so he's ready to deal with those issues head on, but it's certainly a very challenging issue and there's different Christians have different responses to those issues. So there is a need for us to, as Christians, to talk together and try and make sense of this together and be on the same page. I imagine that he comes at that from a unique perspective being a theologian, which I think is different from the previous presidents of the EFC. So that gives him sort of a different angle and way of stepping into those issues. Yeah, I think so. Every president of the EFC is different, obviously, but he has some unique gifts as an individual. He's got a PhD in Western Christian thought, and he's written books on theology and theologians. So there's a lot of training that he can help bring to bear on the challenges that are facing us today. What's nice about him, I think, is that, and you'll hear this in the interview, is he's very concerned about the reality here and now. So it's not like someone who is maybe a scholar who deals with things on some kind of abstract level, but it's all very applied and practical. I think the church could certainly benefit, we can all benefit from those kind of discussions and those kind of approaches. Yeah, I certainly noticed that in his columns in Faith Today, where there's that practical application of these issues that can sometimes feel very far away. That's exciting to hear more of that. Um, I'm also wondering, because I feel like uh, many listeners are probably familiar with the work that the EFC does more broadly outside of Canada, but obviously our focus is within Canada supporting and doing research and public policy work that supports churches and denominations in Canada. But then there is that global involvement as well in the global evangelical movement. So I wonder if David talked at all about that. Yeah, he is directly involved with the World Evangelical Alliance. And you can hear in the interview um, that that's an important part of what he feels is an important part of his task as an evangelical leader to stay in touch with the global church and to be engaged with and helping and learning from the global church. That's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that bigger picture. I feel like that, for me anyway, is one of the things that inspires and encourages me in my faith is hearing from that bigger picture of Christians more broadly. Congratulations, David, on your new role as the EFC's president and CEO. You've obviously been connected with the EFC for many years. We can read on the website about you serving with the board for nine years. I've worked with you for five years as the executive vice president and resident theologian at the EFC. But for our listeners, before we get to your new responsibilities, if you could talk a little bit about what you've already been doing at the EFC for the last five years or even longer. Sure. Thanks, Bill. Well, I guess with the uh, two sides of my job, executive vice president and resident theologian, they're somewhat distinct. As an executive vice president, I've basically been chief 
uh, operations officer, which means that I've been involved heavily with the president in really oversight of the entire ministry of the FC and then all of the operational elements of the FC. That's the you know finance and HR and IT and marketing and affiliation program and all of that. So, so really um, chief operations officer on the one side. There I've also worked very closely with the president and board. I've been involved sitting at the board level, not as a board member, but sitting with the board uh, throughout my time, you know, helping to develop strategy and then working with the president to, to kind of execute strategy. On the other side, the resident theologian side, it's allowed me, I have a previous career as a theology professor for 24 years, and this, is, this position has allowed me to continue to research and write and teach and speak really broadly right across Canada in all kinds of different contexts, church contexts, school contexts, and continue to learn and to do theological research. And uh, I think one of the fun jobs that I've had at uh, EFC is helping to develop the Faith Today magazine and serving as its executive publisher. Not that I do any of the work, <laughs> but I actually help to kind of help to see the vision of where we're going and, and just kind of monitoring the things that we're writing about and suggesting new topics. And, and I write a column for Faith Today as well as resident theologian and, and EVP. So that's been basically what I've been doing for the last five years. Wow. And a big move from out west to come to Ontario to do all of that. I suppose our listeners, if they've encountered you, it's been more likely on the resident theologian side. So they've maybe seen your column in Faith Today or heard you speak publicly. So I just thought it would be interesting to recognize and acknowledge that other part of your work as well, that all that behind the scenes stuff that actually makes Faith Today magazine continue to exist and the EFC build its partnerships in Canada with other affiliates and more broadly, even outside of Canada. So yeah, now you're taking on this new hat as president. So what does that mean? How are things going to change? What are your new responsibilities as the president of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada? Well, it's interesting because there'll be some continuities. I've been thinking about it this way. Uh, up until now, the last five years, I've been primarily operational and occasionally strategic. Really, as president, I'll probably flip that and become primarily strategic and you know, occasionally operational. But really, my new responsibilities really will be to guide the future direction and vision of the EFC. I'm particularly excited to be working with our three centers and really looking forward into kind of the next decade and the next two decades even beyond. Where are we going as a movement? How can we serve better as the EFC, as the Fellowship of Evangelicals in Canada? And what are the issues that are facing us? Probably the, the most exciting part that I've been mandated to do as president from the board is really to be a thought leader, to think ahead of the movement, to think ahead and alongside of the movement to say, where are the big challenges coming and how are we preparing to respond to those and how are we better working together to respond to those? So those are the really, I think, the most exciting things that I'll be doing as president. I, I can imagine that if you've been doing the operational work, that behind the scenes work of making sure that things happen and all of that. It's probably a good preparation, I would say, to go more into that strategic role because you know what's possible and maybe you've encountered various challenges that you see them at the operational level and then you can kind of step out of the nitty-gritty and start thinking about them on, on the bigger scale. Am I kind of guessing that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, even as I've been in the midst of this transition, one of the small but real challenges is learning to actually let go of some of that operational side and, and realizing that 
I won't be able to delve into those types of details, but the preparation has been fantastic. I feel like as an EVP, it's enabled me to really understand the organization from within and really understand what it is we're doing at its breadth. And even I am always amazed by how much we're doing and how much we're engaged in. And sometimes I don't even know everything that we're, we're always engaged in. And so at least being able to have a basic grasp of the breadth of the ministry has really prepared me to think about, okay, we're next. And how do we keep this coherent? Maybe there's things we don't need to do as much anymore. What are the new things that we have to do? It gives me a bit of a foot up coming in to the new role. I don't have to kind of learn the organization from the ground up. Yeah, that makes really good sense to me. Let's think about the EFC itself then and what it is and what it does. Some of our listeners at the Faith Today podcast may just be familiar with the magazine Faith Today, and they know the EFC is its publisher, and maybe not a whole bunch more than that. Or maybe some of them are longtime followers, and they know exactly what the EFC has been up to. So one of the things that I sometimes use to talk about the EFC with people is the tagline that the EFC uses to describe itself, uniting evangelicals to bless Canada in the name of Jesus. How would you describe for our listeners a little bit about what the EFC's mission is or what it's actually doing or trying to do? So the tagline that we have been using, Uniting Evangelicals to Bless Canada in the Name of Jesus, it's only been around for you know a few years now. But I think at the heart, it captures the heart of what the EFC has really been about right from its start. And we're actually approaching the 60th anniversary, and I've actually been thinking about that already. In 2024, we'll be celebrating the 60th anniversary of the EFC. But if you go back into the history of the EFC, that uniting theme has always been there. Early in the history of the EFC, it was really about uniting Christian leaders and pastors and, and organizational leaders really theologically to kind of address some of the trends in the church where it was moving perhaps away from theological orthodoxy or, or from the historic and faith stances of the church. So in the early movement, it was uniting it you know, somewhat theologically. I think as the movement, as, as EFC developed, it, it started then also to unite the organizationally when bringing denominations together and asking that question, which we've long been, been asking ourselves and others, what can we do together that we couldn't do apart? And so there's sort of a uniting at a, a level of cooperation and collaboration. And then I think in the, the past years, as long as Bruce Clemenger has been president, there's also been this, this sense of a united voice of evangelicalism in Canada. And so especially around public policy issues and, and legal issues, is there a way we can speak with one voice at the sort of the basic levels of what biblical theology might speak to a particular issue? And so we're trying to present a coherent, united voice on behalf of evangelicals in the public square. Beyond the uniting part, I love that it says we're uniting evangelicals to bless Canada in the name of Jesus and just jumping to the Jesus, the name of Jesus. It's a reminder that finally, it's not about winning battles. It's not about drawing lines in the sand and the us and them. Certainly we have, we have opponents. We have people who are probably opposed to us. We know that, but it's really not about, it's not about winning battles. It's about pointing people to Jesus. We do this in the name of Jesus. Uh, whatever we do in word or deed, as the Apostle Paul says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do it in the name of Jesus and not to bless and curse, 
you know, blessing on one side and cursing on the other side, but to bless Canada. We do this for the sake of the common good of who we are as Canada. It's our job to point people to the light of the gospel, the the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who loves everyone, who loves all peoples, and has called us to testify to him. And so ultimately, it's not about drawing lines. It's not about winning battles. It's about pointing people to the goodness of God revealed in Jesus Christ and, and in his kingdom. I love the mantra. I love the, the tagline. It really does, I think, capture the heart and DNA of who the EFC has always been and in different manifestations throughout its history. It's not always just been focused on one aspect. And I guess I'm eager to find out, like, maybe there's a new, a new kind of uniting that we haven't yet encountered yet that is maybe in our future. I think we'll always be doing those other things but there's perhaps more to come. I imagine that when you think formally about the EFC, obviously the church in Canada is bigger than the EFC. So the EFC plays a role in the church and the EFC plays a role in Canadian society more broadly. One of the things that I've always found beneficial about the EFC is this idea of saying that religion is relevant to public life and is relevant to everything that we do. And so people, whether they're considered themselves an evangelical Christian or some other religious tradition or people of no faith, they're challenged by the EFC to think about, you know, is is religion relevant as opposed to banishing it and making everything secular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Outside of Canada, I know that the tagline talks about blessing Canada. But I think that there's also part of the EFC that is worth mentioning in terms of broader than that. You're obviously, you've got a role, maybe not obvious to everyone, but you've got a role with the World Evangelical Alliance. Also within the EFC, there are many organizations that are doing work that is also outside of Canada. I wonder if you could just speak to those two sides of maybe what the EFC is or what our mission is that reaches beyond Canada. Well, I think one of the things that I've really been thinking a lot about in the last few years is I'm going to start from where we're at in our movement and in, in, in our current culture. We already know that the word evangelical is often suspect. You know, there's lots of people who wonder whether, whether that's even a nice word anymore. And I think sometimes we forget that how we might be accustomed to hearing how the word evangelical is used here in Canada or in the United States, particularly in North America, is really just a small piece of the pie of a much broader global movement called the, you know, the, the evangelical movement throughout the world. Some probably 650 million Christians throughout the world, one of the largest uh, religious movements in the world. And so I think that there's a danger that when we think about, well, of course, we're a national organization and we're focused in on the ministries happening here in Canada and, and seeking to bless Canada in Jesus' name. I think we also benefit by recognizing we're part of that larger whole, that global movement called uh, evangelicalism. And so my involvement at the World Evangelical Alliance uh, on the International Council, I've been quite involved in, in ministries uh, dealing with the persecuted church, global mission organizations. These all remind us that it's not just about us. Right? It's not just about our own blessing and our own satisfaction and our, our own spiritual growth, but our participation in the one body of Jesus Christ globally as well. I think that there is a danger that, we not maybe not a danger, we just need to keep a balance between recognizing that while we're the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, it's not just about us. It's about the whole world 
is the place where the gospel is designed to go. In that regard, I think that sometimes Westerners, like Canadians and Americans and Europeans, we've kind of thought we, we have all the solutions, we've kind of figured things out, but we also are seeing you know significant declines in the Western church, right? And we now know that the church is growing tremendously in the two-thirds world. And it's perhaps a time when we ha actually have to kind of take a, a humble stance and ask the question, what can we learn from other countries who perhaps were in a place where we were, where the gospel was minimalized or was declining, and how have they responded to it? And also, how can we learn from countries where the gospel is like flourishing, you know, beyond bounds that we could ever imagine? So it's not just a stance of what can we teach the rest of the world. We do still have things we can teach, and we still have lots we can contribute but we also have to take a stance of how do we fit into the larger whole and not only how we fit in, but, but what can we learn? And so I think that uh, one of the things I'll, and part of my mandate is to, to bring that back and forth between our national and North American context, but situating that within the global movement itself. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's really important. I'm glad that happening and the growing connections that we have internationally as mm -hmm. evangelicals. I'm going to think back historically a minute. Some of our longtime listeners may remember some of the past presidents that the EFC has had. Bruce Clemenger has been president most recently, before him, Gary Walsh and Brian Stiller. Each one of them, I think, had a sort of a different gift that they brought to the position of president. If I think of Bruce Clemenger, I think of his insights on public policy and on worldviews. When I remember Gary Walsh, I think about his emphasis on collaboration and his warm professionalism. Brian Stiller, a long time after he stepped down from the presidency, he's still an entrepreneurial powerhouse and a remarkable communicator and fundraiser. So these are the people that have gone before you. Do you have a sense yet of some of what your gifts might be that would shape your presidency? Something about your, your character or the way that God's made you that's gonna become evident? I love the question, Bill, because it kind of really forces me to think about you know, I'm the fourth fourth formal president of the EFC, and I, it does it does kind of ask the question of where I think I, uh, um, my my presidency is going. One thing I know that I've been thinking about in the last uh, little while, even as I've been preparing to take the role, is thanking God that I don't have to be Brian Stiller, Gary Walsh, and Bruce Clemenger. <laughs> and sometimes there's the temptation that I'm going to have to kind of be like them. And I think there are some overlaps. I've got some little overlaps for all of them. And, and I've been really privileged to know all, all three of them. I knew Gary even before he passed away and worked with him some and continue to have long, long uh, conversations with both Brian and Bruce. So I think what you've characterized really is true. And, and I think where I might come in and be somewhat unique is, number one, uh, I am a trained theologian. I mean, I've spent my, you know, a good chunk of my career in theological education, uh, research, writing, and so on. And uh, I think God's gifted me in a particular way. And, and I think one of the, the, the unique opportunities I've had as a, as a trained theologian has been doing forays into areas where a lot of theologians won't go. So, for example, my experience here with the EFC and even before joining staff, even as I was a board member, you know, pushed me to think a lot more about uh, theological engagement in the public sphere, you know, in issues of law, uh, for example, 
And in recent years, I've been doing a lot of thinking on, on medical ethics. I've done a lot of work, for example, on medical assistance in dying. And a lot of theologians don't sort of necessarily cross those boundaries. They tend to restrict their conversations, you know, strictly to the church and the doctrine of the Trinity and Christology, all of which are absolutely vital. But then asking the question, how, how does that connect to other topics which may not be so obviously theologically oriented? So my gifting is having an ability to take a theological perspective and connect it to things that aren't necessarily obviously theologically connected. So I think that's definitely one of my gifting that I'm, I'm going to bring. I think all of our presidents have, have at some level been collaborators, particularly Gary. Gary was very much a collaborator, but I am definitely a natural collaborator, a gifted collaborator. I love to see people flourish together on teams. I love to see people flourish in their own work, empowered to do their job, to have confidence to do their job. And I think that's a, a natural gifting and skill that really translates well into what the EFC is because, the, I mean, the EFC is a, a collaborative organization and it's in our DNA to, to work together with others uh, as a united movement. And so that natural giftedness to be a connector, a collaborator, uh, I think is going to translate well into uh, leading the EFC. I don't even see the president's job sort of in hierarchical terms. It's more I'm just the chief collaborator amongst many collaborators. <laughs> I think that's that, that's just a, a unique perspective. I'm not really tied to office so much. I'm not really tied to roles. I'm tied more to thinking about what can, what can we do together. And honestly, you know, I know that all of my predecessors love to do what they do. Uh, but I just love to have fun at work. Like I really just love having fun at work and I love having fun with my coworkers. But I think that's a, that is, that should be a marker of, of what it means to, to work in the kingdom, you know, to be joyful in life and to be not grudgingly going to our jobs and doing what we're supposed to do, but being joyful about what we're going to do. And I, I hope that that will, will come through and that will exude as I continue to lead the EFC. Well, that's a kind of witness in itself, right? As Christians, will we be seen as dour doomsayers or will we be seen as people who are enjoying the life that God is giving us and sharing that? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, so you, exactly. you've kind of you've you've kind of got a bit into your personality. I'm going to ask you to go just a little bit further. Tell us something maybe about, okay. I don't know, about your family or a hobby that you have. Um, so maybe when you take off your presidential hat, um, who, what, 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 yeah. how, give our listeners an idea of, of what kind of person you are or some of the things that you're, that you enjoy that, that also make you joyful yeah. besides being at work. Well, I mean, certainly my family gives me lots of great joy and um, I, I've been married to Maureen for, for over 33 years. We have three adult kids, Joey and his wife, Blake, uh, my male daughter, Siante and Dawson, and uh, my youngest daughter, Sierra. They're all, they're all adults. Joy is, is learning to be a parent to adult kids. And actually, it's, it's not less challenging, I found, but it is more fun. <laughs> I found that it's more fun being a parent to adult kids. Just even, you know, growing those friendships with your kids in ways that, you know, you can't, can't really do it quite in the same way as, as when they're kids. So, yeah, that gives me great joy. Uh, anyone who's on my Facebook knows that we have a, a little cat that has grown to be a, a very central part of our family. Uh, her name is Scrunchie. So she, we, we all joke that uh, whenever any of us have problems at home, we just turn to Scrunchie. And that uh, pretty well solves the problem, for, at least temporarily. 
In terms of other hobbies, well, here's the irony, Bill, is although I'm a natural collaborator, I'm also the kind of person that I can be extroverted for a while and I draw energy from people, but only for so long. And then I need to kind of withdraw and introvert. And so that usually shows up, uh, you know, in, in reading, but uh, really, really radically in my hobby of astrophotography, where I go out into the dark and I take pictures of stars and planets who don't say a word. Well, <laughs> I, they declare the glory of God, <laughs> but they don't talk back in the same way. Or, or and and I just did quiet, quiet in the dark before them, and I just I just marvel at the the beauty of it. And uh, the sad thing about living in Ottawa, I, I like I like Ottawa, but compared to living in Saskatchewan, the skies just aren't nearly as good in Ottawa as they are in Saskatchewan. I spent there twenty four years, but uh, yeah, I love I love astrophotography. So that's that's one of my hobbies. I have too many hobbies, actually, but uh, I don't have time to, to pursue them all either. And I'm glad you have a hobby. I think we all need to kind of balance out being on mission and also resting. Yeah, it has made a big difference for me, having having something you can go to to kind of balance out your life. You were saying earlier, one of the things that you have to do as a strategist is to look ahead and to say... And to kind of envision how do we need to position ourselves? What do we need to prepare for and respond to? So just as you're stepping into this new role, it's maybe too early to say a lot, but can you give us some idea of what you see as right now as being some of the challenges that are facing, I don't know, facing Christians in our society or, you know, things that you are looking ahead at as being things that will need addressing? Another great question. Um, you know, it's really interesting that I'm stepping into this role at a fairly unique time in our in our history. You know, we're sort of post-pandemic. We're asking the questions of what, what did we learn through the pandemic? And, you know, I think one of the conclusions that many Christian leaders and thinkers, even here in North America and in Canada, are thinking about is that the experience of going through COVID-19 revealed to us probably that our churches probably don't have the spiritual and theological depth that we kind of thought we should have to ride out a crisis, to ride out a, a, a social upheaval. It's not like we didn't know that our culture was changing, for example. I mean, we've long known that we're increasingly a post-Christian society, but I think it took the pandemic to kind of shake us up a little bit to realize that a lot of the things that we've been doing We've just continued to do despite the cultural changes that have been taking place. A little bit like the, you know, the frog in the kettle. And I think the, the, the positive side of the pandemic is, is that after the pandemic was, was over or, or is nearly over, we, we came back to church and realized people had changed. They aren't necessarily thinking about the role of the church in their lives in quite the same way. Some of it see it as more important than others, but others are saying, you know, I didn't didn't really need the church after all. Thought maybe I did, and, and the pandemic convinced me that I didn't need that. And so that that's a, a sad sad thing. So the challenge is is now now what? <laughs> you know, now that uh, we've come out of that, will we have learned some of those lessons? And are we willing to to change some of the ways that we've done things? How committed are we to those structures and practices that we maybe perhaps assumed were essential to the church and found out that maybe they're not so central to the church anymore? And so I don't think we necessarily have answers to those, and those are are big challenges. I think another another big issue that that has been really close to my heart and close to my my work 
has been that the the continual challenge that we're facing around things like life issues, like abortion, and, and of course, uh, more recently, medical assistance in dying here in Canada. And what a, an absolute, utter cultural, you know, upheaval that has been as we think about the shift from sort of a community where we at least basically understood that uh, death is something that everyone will encounter, but we're not in control of it, to a real sort of radical autonomy where now, now we not only think that we're in control of our life, we're also in control of our death, of our own death. And so I think it's an outworking of this, as I say, a radical autonomous view of who we are uh, as humans. And so then as, as, um, as Christians, we have to come into that context and say, well, let's change. The culture has changed. Not everybody agrees that it's perhaps wrong to end, end a life uh, prematurely. So now what do we do as a church? How do we minister to a world where we don't share those fundamental agreements anymore? Even before that, we at least had some of those fundamental understandings of sort of the sanctity of life, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, there's the general uh, widespread understanding. Those have shifted beneath our feet. And so I think the church is going to have to ask the question, as we always have had to ask, is, you know, how do we continue to love our neighbors, whether they agree with us or fundamentally disagree with us on, on some of these issues? That's a big challenge. We don't have a common uh, cultural and theological understanding about the nature of our world, about the nature of humanity. And as a result, it's very difficult for us to, to begin to even talk about ultimate matters like life and death and God and salvation and sin and all of these topics which the church has been so accustomed to talking about, but now really are, are foreign language to much of our culture. Yeah, so the definitions are changing a little bit in terms of how people define life and, like you said, autonomy and things like that. I pray that God gives you a continuing insight in these kind of issues. That's obviously something for a lot of thought and conversation and discernment with, mm -hmm. uh, with other Christian leaders. With that kind of future coming towards us or already here, does that change what the EFC does in any way? Do you anticipate starting new initiatives? I guess, again, that's a little premature to ask you, but yep. I'm going to try anyways. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I think given the fact that I'm a collaborator, I think it would definitely be premature. I think that, that we have to work through these, these issues together. And when I say collaboration, like at least one of my early goals in my presidency is it's not just about me or even our board of directors coming up kind of with a vision of what's next for the EFC, but we're a movement. We're a fellowship at the, at the center of who we are. We're a fellowship of people. And so one of the crucial tasks that I know that I have to do is, is get a pulse of where our denominations, our core denominations, our affiliates are. They really are what we call our moral owners of the EFC and find out where, what are the issues, what are the challenges, what are the joys that they're facing. And so early on into my presidency, I'm, I'm going to be trying to make sure that I have personal visits with all of those denominational leaders in the first year, really a listening tour, I suppose you could call it, where we're asking together in anticipation that the Spirit will speak, you know, where do you wish us to go, Lord? Like, where, where do you need us to go? That's really the nature of the whole body of Christ, the gifting and the, the perspectives. And, and so my task isn't so much at this point to dictate what's next for the EFC as it is to engage in a listening prayer and an anticipatory prayer 
and conversation to, to hear where the spirit might be leading us. That said, I think that, you know, based on what the EFC is doing, one thing I've really been thinking about is, is that, you know, the EFC has long been understood and, and known for our work in public policy. It's just really, when I go out and, and talk to people, most people kind of think about our, our public policy work. Obviously, I think we're, we're going to continue to do that. I can't foresee that we would stop doing that. But we've also been long concerned about collaboration and working together, you know, together. And so I think that my hope is, is that we'll highlight the sort of three kind of p- pillars or centers that we've been working with, our Center for Faith and Public Life, our Center for Research on Church and Faith, and our Center for Ministry Partnership and, and Innovation, that we would see these more as integrated action and integrated initiatives. And without underplaying the really important place of being in the public square on public policy and law issues, we have to come to realize that Sometimes those go through, we voice what our principles are and the directions that we want to go, but they go in directions that we wish they wouldn't. And so then the question becomes, what does the church do while those public policies, those laws have now been passed and put into place and and our culture has changed? Now, how does the church function and operate in a context where those are a reality? And so... In some ways, I want to use a bit of a medical analogy where I think about the EFC will always be involved in some kind of attempts to prescribe something like in in relative to maybe a public policy issue. But we also have to be asking the question about preventative medicine. (laughs) Like, what are the things we have to be doing long before the crisis comes? (laughs) Like, long before these conversations that come up in public policy or once we have a diagnosis, how do we live healthily in the midst of those, those significant changes of our cultural health? And so I, that, that medical analogy has been helpful for me because I think a lot of times, not only FC, but I think the church has tended to say, you know, what's the solution to a diagnosed problem rather than asking the question, how do we live healthily uh, with health and flourishing and, and live uh, preventatively? so that we don't have to worry about the crisis when it comes. We're already living healthily to avoid some of those things. And it's not an either-or thing. There'll always be things that we have to to address, things that come up that we have to address. But I think that we, together with our affiliates, will need to really ask the question, how do we live healthy, spiritually healthy, gospel-oriented lives long before we're having to face those crises? Well, that's great, David. Let me just say thank you for making the time for this interview. I really appreciate it, and I'm praying, and I'm sure many of our listeners are praying that God will bless you as you step into this new role and that your service to His church uh, in Canada and beyond will be fruitful. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.